Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prame, Eric Scopel on the show as always. And today we have Michael Swain from Cyclone Alert, uh, our Iowa State 24-7 sports site beat reporter covering the Big 12 representative of the Fiesta Bowl. Iowa State ranked number 10 in the country coming into Saturday afternoon's game. Michael, thanks for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. Thank you guys for having me. It's definitely an exciting time of the year. Thankful we're able to have some bowl games. Without a doubt. And speaking of that right there, uh, exciting times. Can you maybe just kind of give us some perspective of Iowa State going into this Fiesta Bowl? From an Oregon side, um, not to say that they're like, oh, hum, we're playing in the Fiesta Bowl, but this is a game that they've played in multiple times. They're used to playing in New Year's Six Bowl games. Uh, They were in one last year, the Rose Bowl, which they won. Um, This is a stage that they're accustomed to. Is For Iowa State, is this – this feels like maybe their biggest bowl game in in history. Is is that fair to say? A hundred percent. And quite frankly, it is the biggest bowl game in the history of Iowa State. It's the first time they've been to a a New Year's Six Bowl. I thought something that one of the Oregon players, maybe it was Cristobal, where they said that they had bigger hopes for this season, but you lose a couple games in college football and all of a sudden it's not possible. And I think for Iowa State, it's almost maybe a little bit of the opposite where you've been able to string together, you know, one of the best seasons in program history. In fact, if not the best season in program history, you notch eight conference wins for the first time ever. Um, You're able to go and beat Texas and Oklahoma in the same season for the first time in decades. So this is really in terms of maybe an Iowa State season, this is really an opportunity for them to put the cherry on top. And I think honestly set themselves up to be in a really good position to not only be a top 10 team to start the next season, but to be one that can compete and be in the Big 12 title game again next year, just based on the talent that they'll get back. And, you know, with the eligibility rule too, there's some guys that could decide to come back, which really could elevate the ceiling of this team long-term. Real, real quick to follow up on that. Sometimes when you see teams that play in conference championship games and they lose, um, it's, it's hit or miss on kind of what their, their vibe is coming out of that game, going into a bowl game. They lost to Oklahoma 27-21. Do you feel like this is a team that's like, hey, we're fired up, we're ready to go, this is a huge game for us? Or is there maybe, I don't want to know if I want to say hangover effect, but is there any kind of lingering issues of a loss still dealing with this team? I don't think so. Um, I think something that I've been struck with in this season especially has been kind of the day-to-day mentality of this team. It can be a little – mundane at times listening to Matt Campbell talk where he says you know a lot of it is very much process driven I think a lot with what the senior class has been through maybe won't allow that to happen because I think for this senior class you look at what they've been through where you know you start off you're three and nine and then all of a sudden you've worked your way to going from a Liberty Bowl to an Alamo Bowl now to you know a New Year's Six and I don't think that senior class would let that slip Um, it certainly sounds like in terms of just the leadership of the program 
that that class has really held people accountable throughout the season, whether it's staying within kind of your little bubble, whether it's, you know, really nailing the details of your routes or things like that. You know, I think this is a team that really to end the year was really locked in. And I don't think slipping in the conference championship game is going to limit what they can do in the Fiesta Bowl. Michael, can you, for Oregon fans that maybe didn't watch much of Iowa State this year and, and maybe just don't have a great understanding of, of what kind of a team they are, can you, can you lay out, like you mentioned beating Oklahoma, beating Texas, and we should note very close to beating Oklahoma again in the Big 12 Conference Championship game. What makes this team so good and so competitive, and, and why has this such, been such a special season for, for Matt Campbell and company? I think it's a lot of things. I think they have the platform of this senior class that kind of has this steadiness to it to where, you know, something Matt Campbell talks about is in the face of adversity, can you continue to push? And I think that's what this team has done. Um, you look at a lot of different points in this season where they could have quit and rolled over, and they really haven't. Maybe the first game against Oklahoma, you know, Iowa State's down three scores in the second quarter. Well, they come back in the second half thanks to some plays from seniors and Brees Hall to where they're able to win that game. You look at Texas, you know, they're down. They look really bad in the first quarter. I mean, they just got hit for explosive play after explosive play. They tighten things up on the defensive end in the second half, and they're able to come out with a win. So I think maybe the mantra of this team has been to persevere through kind of the adversity that they have faced at times this season um, to where now you're seeing maybe, you know, you've got the senior leadership, but now you've got guys like Brock Purdy, Brees Hall playing with extreme confidence to where now they've elevated the level of this team to where maybe they were early in the season when a Brock Purdy wasn't playing his best football. Matt Campbell, head coach of Iowa State, is a three-time Big 12 coach of the year. Did it in 2017, backed it up in 18, and then was the coach of the year this season. Uh, three and nine his first year in 2016. Then, like you said, eight and five, eight and five, seven and six, and now you know, first time that they're Big 12 champions in the regular season. Um, what's just been, I guess, the the the, the stamp uh, of Matt Campbell's program? Like, what are they known for? I know the NFL has looked at him for multiple years. We know that he's a, a name that, you know, Ohio State or or Michigan have, has have kind of rumored to be interested in. And what's what's made Matt Campbell such a good coach? Um, I think Brees Hall maybe put it best after Iowa State beat Texas. You know, it's five-star culture versus five-star talent in some cases. And I think that's what Matt Campbell has really done at Iowa State is he's established a culture to where players are able to maximize the best versions of themselves that they can be. And that's something that Matt Campbell talks endlessly about is players striving day in and day out to kind of do that. And I think by taking this measured approach to the program, to building it, to constructing this roster – it's been that long game. And that's what they even took to start this season. I mean, the loss to Louisiana, that was not pretty at all. And I think Matt Campbell really has reiterated that they tried to take a long approach. And so I think maybe Matt Campbell has come into Iowa State with this vision of from coming from maybe 50,000 feet to where you know we've got to rebuild the tight end room. We've got to rebuild you know, the offensive line room. We've got to get you know, uh, this roster reconstructed to where you're bringing in the right people, the people that fit his culture and what he wants in a program which is people that, you know, care and really care about academics. And I think you can see that maybe in the team GPA this season. But um, I think just in general, the big calling card for Matt Campbell is his culture, because I think that's what a lot of these programs, you look at maybe a Texas, uh, a Michigan that are looking to maybe move on from their coaches in the future. You know, they want people that are able to establish a culture and get the best out of people. 
Um, I think about listening to Urban Meyer talk, you know, over the last couple of years as he's done some of this Fox stuff. I think what he's talked about culture has been really interesting. And I think Matt Campbell's of that same ilk to where it's really putting stuff in the hands of players to where they're the ones that are driving this program. You know, Matt Campbell does these biweekly meetings with the senior class where, you know, on Sundays after a game, they meet, they talk about the game, what they liked, what they didn't like. And then they meet again during the week to talk about the week of practice, where they want their direction of the program to head. So I think just in general, you know, this Iowa State team has really established this kind of tight knit culture to it not only allows players to kind of grow and be themselves, but to where also they all really play for each other and really care about each other. Michael, you referenced the Louisiana game, and I'm sure you're asked this by a lot of people throughout <laughs> the year. Like, what, A, what happened in that game? And B, wh- how has this team rebounded so effectively? I mean, because you look at that, that's the only loss the whole season by, what, more than a score? It's by far the most glaring outcome on the whole thing. I, I think everybody looks at that. Is that just an aberration, or, or how do you explain that one? Yeah, I, I think an aberration might be right. Uh, I just sometimes think back to that game and just how much of a, a one-off it kind of seemed like. And I think maybe you look at that time and where we were at in terms of just college football in general. And something Matt Campbell had mentioned was some of the, the practice or COVID issues to where Iowa State was kind of in their second week of practice, as Matt Campbell said, when that Louisiana game hit. But I think you maybe can go back and look and watch that game and you'll see um, the detail that I think Iowa State is playing with now wasn't there. Um, you know, I came from covering Kansas football before this season, and it really reminded me of some Kansas football games where just That's it was good. sloppy. <laughs> it was, you know, it, it's just bad football in general. And I think you can look back and say, you want to what? That looked like a team that hadn't practiced much. Where in the moment you're wondering, you know, on that day, you're wondering what is going on? You know, is this team really supposed to be one of the best in the Big 12? You know, do we get this wrong? Well, in hindsight, you can kind of look back and say, actually, yeah, that did look like a team that really hadn't practiced too much. So I I think just in general, from the outside, people don't know that. And they see the score and they will say that, you know, it's a 17-point loss to Louisiana at home, which it is. Um, Now, that doesn't take into account maybe the the three kick returns that Louisiana had. um, or Sorry, the two kick returns Louisiana had. You know, it was just a kind of a wild game. And I think maybe a culmination of a lot of things that led to Iowa State not playing well and Louisiana coming in and winning the game because they played well enough to win the game. Their defensive backs locked up Iowa State's wide receivers. Um, You know, they definitely earned the win. But I just don't think that Iowa State team is the same team as you see today. When you look at the 24-7 sports team talent rankings, um, this is a big disparity between these two teams, uh, on paper at least. Oregon is 12th in the country in terms of just the most talent uh, on the roster. And I look at Iowa State and I see a team that's in the 50s checking in at 57 nationally. Um, they have just four four-star players on their roster. What has allowed them to overcome a talent gap in the big 12 against a team like Texas, who's five, a team like Oklahoma, who's, who's ninth uh, in the country in, in talent gap. And you go down the list and you'll, you'll find a couple other teams in the top 30 or 40 that are in the big 12. Um, Iowa state's not even close to that. So I guess what's allowed them to play significantly better than the talent they have on paper. I, I so I think it's a few things. Um, I think scheme is a big thing. Um, Iowa State talks a lot about that to where kind of this 3-3-5 defense maybe allows them to maximize some of the potential that they have on the roster. 
And I think that it also gives other teams kind of different looks. Um, I think that has definitely contributed to it. You know, I asked the Iowa State defensive coordinator today why they've done so well in second halves. And he said that really in the first half, they don't necessarily know how teams are going to come out and attack them. Um, you know, you look at how Iowa State's played early in games and they've kind of struggled, but it's once they kind of figure things out, they're able to maybe tweak the scheme a little bit here and there to what the teams are trying to do. And they're able to kind of not outsmart teams, but out scheme them to some degree. Um, now, in terms of maybe this specific uh, talent level, uh, I think when you look at Iowa State, I mean, you can look at, of course, guys like Brees Hall who are on the high end of that talent end. Um, but I think you look at maybe other guys like a Mike Rose, who is the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year, but wasn't really a heralded recruit. He's someone that kind of has come in and has really worked and gotten a lot better over you know his first couple of years within the program to where now he's able to play at a really high level within the scheme that can also elevate, you know, his play. So I think it's just a lot of things that contribute to Iowa State being able to compete with these teams that they just on paper don't really match up with. I think player development, you know, Iowa State should deserve a lot of credit for that in terms of finding guys that are the right fit, finding guys that have the right skill sets to fit into that scheme, but also really maximizing those guys' ability because it's one thing to find them and to find the guys that can fit the scheme, have the length, have the stuff you look for. I think it's another thing to maximize it and to get those players playing at a consistent level week in and week out. And I think that's where a lot of credit really should go to the Iowa State coaching staff for really being able to kind of drive these guys to get better over the course of a full season. I think you saw that this year to where Iowa State was able to kind of play their best football at the end of the year. Um, but, but I think it really is just a, a culmination of things that really has allowed Iowa State not only relieving this season, but just in their time under Matt Campbell to really kind of punch above their weight in terms of the on-paper talent. I'm, I'm happy you brought up the three-three-five because I, this is something I wanted to talk about. And Oregon mm. coaches and players have, have discussed how unique this is, how strange this is. I think my understanding is that they're one of three Power Five programs nationally that plays. I know Baylor does. I think Clemson might be the other. Um, kind of what's the origination of this at Iowa State? Um, you've now seen it for a little bit. Why is it so difficult? And, and I think one thing that I've heard is it's, 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 it's not only that it's a unique formation, but it's also that they do a lot of unique things with it in mm. terms of, of bringing safeties down in terms of all sorts of that kind of thing. So like, like just, I guess, paint a picture for why this is so difficult for opposing offenses, you think? Definitely. Um, I'm kind of like a, a film junkie to some degree. So I really do enjoy the, the schematic stuff that Iowa State does. Um, in terms of the origination, this is something that they came up with on the fly. Um, the defensive coordinator, John Haycock, kind of mid-season, Iowa State was really struggling on the defensive side of the ball. And they made this tweak to go to this three-safety look, the 3-3-5. Three, three, um, and they've really, really not looked back. And they've been really on the cutting edge of, of college football in terms of that schematic. Now, what makes it tough? Um, I think there's a few things. Um, the safeties, of course, they've got the middle safety is kind of the key to it all. He, they call it the star. Um, that's Aishin Young's position, um, number one. He's a, that position has to do a lot. They can play as a linebacker at times. They can also play as a deep single high safety at other times. You know, Aishim Young helped Iowa State beat Oklahoma the first time because he was playing single high, was able to come up with interception to end the game. But then you look at other games this season where he's been more of kind of a run fitter, where he's kind of flying in, uh, filling gaps and kind of filling that role. So I think that star position is really important. And then the other two safety positions, Greg Eisworth on the strong side and Lawrence White on the boundary. Um, I think those two are really smart players. I think they're veteran players that John Haycock trusts and can say, hey, we need you to buzz here, buzz there. 
um, post-snap do this and all these different things, and he can trust those players to execute it. Um, now, moving forward, I think maybe the linebackers help a lot there. You know, having someone like a Mike Rose who is, you know, 6'4", 240, 250, and can move really well, he allows you to play with only three down linemen because he can kind of fit gaps in an instant. The Mike linebacker, Orion Vance, does a lot of dirty work in the run game of just being a guy that almost acts like that fourth defensive lineman sometimes with the way that he fits gaps and has to um, read the line of scrimmage. Um, and then up front, I think it's really interesting what they kind of do with that three-man front where they've got kind of the, the zero or the nose that has to kind of be a two-gap guy up front. Um, they really have found consistency at that position this year. That was a really big question mark going into the year because they lost their, their nose guy after last season. So they've got real good consistency from that position this year. And then I think a lot of it also has to do with what they've gotten out of Jaquan Bailey. Um, who today was a football writer's first team All-American, I want to say. Um, but he's been really good. He's a game record type of defensive end. He's someone that takes on double teams and really allows the other people within that defense to fit the gaps, to get in space and to shut things down. So I think when you look at this Iowa State defense in total, it really is a collection of all pieces really moving in unison and understanding where each person's going to be where the help is. And they all play within this scheme really well. Now where Iowa state has had some troubles this year is with some of the deep shots. Um, you can scheme up one-on-one -on -one matchups against this defense at times. Um, now will Iowa state tweak it in the second half? Chances are pretty high. That'll happen. But early on in a game, there's a lot of film out there that can show you that you can get, you know, one-on-one -on -one matchups and create big plays against the offense. You just got to make sure that you capitalize on those opportunities early in the game, because we've seen that late in the game, Iowa state will kind of shut that down. Iowa state since 2018 uh, is four and 10 against other top 25 programs when they've matched up. Um, I guess what's been the, the, the common theme in the four wins, if there is one, and I guess what's been the hurdle for this team to have a winning record against other top 25 teams in the country? I think detail has been a big part of it. Um, I think you can look at some of the past matchups. I think back to Oklahoma last year, um, they went into Norman and almost won, but there were some detail issues where there's, you know, just not being able to execute on certain plays that I think have hindered Iowa State. Now, I can't speak super far back into Matt Campbell's tenure just because I haven't been on the beat for that long. But I do know for a fact that, you know, that was an issue last year. And I think you look at the times where Iowa State has struggled against ranked teams this year. You think about the Oklahoma State loss. You know, it, it's just little details. It's missing two field goals. It's, you know, not converting on a third down. It's stuff like that that really has hindered Iowa State in years past and even has done so this season. But I think they've been really able to kind of nail down the detail and being able to execute more consistently game in and game out, drive in and drive out to where I think they've been able to, I don't know if turn the corner is the right word because we don't know yet, but to where they might be in a better position to compete against those top teams now just because of how sound they've been playing. Looking, Michael, oh, I, I, was, I, I was just going to throw in a, an injury question in here because I think for a lot of fans listening, they probably want to know what the general health is for Iowa State right now. And I know one thing that I've asked uh, Oregon players is, is, is there an advantage to having played fewer games, right? Oregon's played six, Iowa State's played 11. And one of the things they've said, and I don't know if this is specific to any, any news Iowa State from their perspective, is Oregon may be the fresher team or the more healthy team. 
Is, is there any merit to that? Like, is, is Iowa State particularly beaten up, or are they doing okay from that perspective? Oh, sure. Um, we'll never know. Um, Matt Campbell is not super forward with injury updates. Um, for example, Trevor Downing, the starting right guard, um, went down in that Louisiana game back in mid-September, first weekend of September, and he has been day-to-day all season. So we don't really know. Um, now in terms of the greater health of the team, I think they are in a good spot. You know, Dylan Sainer, one of the starting tight ends, got banged up. He didn't play in the season finale against West Virginia um, ahead of the Big 12 title game. He did play in the title game. Um, but I don't think – I think the title game was maybe the healthiest – Iowa State has been all season. Now, that's not going to take away from the lumps and bruises you take along the way and just the overall fatigue from playing an extended season because this is a longer season than most Iowa State players will have played. Um, Just in terms of you think about starting fall camp and then all of a sudden, you know, we're getting to a New Year's Six Bowl, which hasn't happened for Iowa State before. So I think there might be some merit there when it comes to who's the fresher team. Um, But in terms of injuries, it does seem like Iowa State enters the game um, in a really good spot. Really only Trevor Downing and the starting right tackle, Jake Remsburg, are the only two guys that look like they won't play. Um, and the other right tackle, Joey Ramos, played earlier this season and started the season as a starter. So it's not like there's a huge drop-off at that right tackle spot either. Michael, when you look at this this game, um, what are the things that like are absolute has to happen for Iowa State to win, whether it's against Oregon or, or other teams, or maybe it is just against Oregon. Just what are things that you look at and say, Hey, this is critical. Like I would say has to be able to do blank if they want to win this game. I think you've got to get a good Brock Purdy. Um, that's been the big thing this year has been, you know, you're getting good Brock Purdy or are you getting bad Brock Purdy? Um, we saw parts of bad Brock Purdy against Oklahoma in the Big 12 title game where he throws three interceptions. Um, but we've also seen some really good moments. You know, there was a stretch there from the final three games of the season where Purdy was completing like 77% of his throws at 10 yards in attempt with no interceptions. Um, and Iowa State looked like a dominant team. I mean, they smacked a really good West Virginia team, uh, a West Virginia defense that looked like one of the top, you know, not only in the Big 12, but one of the best ones maybe in the nation. And they put up, you know, 40 plus points on them because of Brock Purdy's efficiency. Um, so I think for Iowa State to win in the Fiesta Bowl, it, I think some of it's going to come down to how good Brock Purdy looks because there's always some degree that Bruce Hall is going to get his. Um, now, he hasn't hit the 100 yard, you know, rushing mark uh, as of late, but he's always going to get, you know, a few big runs and he's going to get drive started with his running ability. I think it's just a question of if you're going to get the efficient Brock Purdy that's making good throws and good reads, or are you going to get the Brock Purdy that can be a little bit frantic to where he tries to do too much at times and as a result can be a little sloppy with the ball and put the ball in jeopardy. Um, so I think if you're looking for Iowa State, that's probably the biggest key. Real real quick to follow up on him, I because I remember he he came out of the state of Arizona, I believe the same year that Oregon starting quarterback Tyler Shuck did. And the thing I remember about about Brock Purdy's recruitment was that like Alabama got involved very late in the process and, and, and tried to flip him. Um, what's just been this guy's career? Like someone I spoke to that's watched a lot of Iowa state games kind of compared him to like Brett Favre gunslinger going to take a lot of risks and it's going to pay off or it's not. Um, what, what's just been the, I guess the, the overall career arc of, of Brock Purdy, because I imagine Alabama and Iowa state don't go head to head in a lot of recruiting battles. No, no, they don't. Not, not very often at all. Um, 
you know, I think his career has been very fascinating because um, he came in kind of midway through his freshman campaign and, and started and really came alive, you know, as the season progressed. And then you look last season, you know, has a really big year, but kind of does develop that gunslinger uh, tendency, like you mentioned with Brett Favre. Um, and I think maybe the career arc you've seen is uh, a young quarterback learn how to play in the Big 12 then get to the point where he's confident enough to do and try these things and he pulls them off. But now I think you've seen him this year almost become more efficient and know that he can do things, but he almost holds back sometimes. Um, Just not even in terms of holding back, like I'm not going to throw this, but knowing like if I throw this, I might put the team in risk. Let's not do that. I think that's been maybe the biggest development this season when you look compared to last season. Um, And I think it'd be really fascinating in terms of maybe some of the long-term stuff with Brock Purdy in the NFL, because going into this season, there was some talk of, could he be a first round pick? You know, could he uh, leave after this year? We're now kind of looking back at this season, you think, okay, you know, first round pick, probably not. Does he leave after this season? Probably not. Probably comes back for one more year and maybe tries to put some more good stuff on film. But I think just in terms of his maybe career arc, um, you've certainly seen him develop over the last couple of years, but I think his leadership is really important too. Um, that's something that I think doesn't get talked about enough with him is his ability to bring guys with him and bring guys along with him. Um, I think Xavier Hutchinson's a great example of that. A JUCO transfer, someone that was like, I think the number 76 ranked JUCO recruit, but he comes in in an unprecedented offseason and Brock Purdy really went the extra mile to try and help him adapt. You know, there was times of practice where Purdy, you know, they wouldn't complete all throw. Purdy would stop practice. No, we're going to redo this throw until we get it. Um, and I think those are some of the things that have maybe helped this Iowa State offense just become better is that they've really followed in the footsteps of their leader, which is Brock Purdy. All right. I want to I want to like take a step back here and go global from an Iowa State perspective here. Um, you mentioned earlier expectations next year being a top 10 team. What would a Fiesta Bowl win mean for this program and maybe like what would that set the I know you said like a team that could do something next year maybe win the big 12 which I know Iowa State hasn't done in over 100 years from my research mm-hmm. um, what 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 could the expectation be for this program in 2021 should they win on Saturday just that that they should be able to compete with Oklahoma and Texas for the big 12 title um, you know you look at Mike Rose is coming back or mo- I mean you don't want to speak certainly but it sounds like he's coming back um, you're going to get Brees Hall back. You're probably going to get Brock Purdy back. You know, you're getting uh, the really a, the solid core of this team. Um, you'll probably lose some seniors along the way, but you might have some younger players that are ready to step up as well. Um, and I think I, just in overall the confidence that you can get from beating an Oregon team, it doesn't even matter that it's, you know, a, a weird season with all this. You, you beat the Oregon brand, and that's going to help your confidence. And it could help Iowa State on the recruiting trail. I can think of a few guys in kind of the Arizona area that that could do a lot of good with, you know, a a win in the Fiesta Bowl. Um, And I think it would really do a lot in setting Iowa State up for next season, like I mentioned, in terms of being able to compete. But I think also maybe having that confidence going into the offseason that, hey, if we have a really good offseason here and we have a big offseason, you know, what's going to keep us from being back in Arlington this time next year and maybe being able to leave with that trophy? Speaking of Michael Swain, um, Cyclone Alert of 24-7 Sports. And, and, and Michael, real, real quick, I've got two more questions. This one, um, I, I, I look at Iowa State and I see a lot of good players. And this is a team that's obviously well-coached. They've got a ton of development. 
they are a top 10 team. Like you said, they've been developing and, and improving each and every year under my, Matt Campbell. Um, but I also go back to the, the talent between these two teams and the difference. Um, am I making that too big of a deal? Um, it, where it, it, I understand, hey, you don't win games on paper, but at, at some point you need to have really good players um, to be able to compete at the highest of levels. And so I, I guess my, my question is, what is like, what are like the major concerns Iowa State has or should have facing an Oregon team like this? I think Oregon has a blueprint to really make Iowa State um, struggle and look bad. Because you look at what has happened when Iowa State has not looked good this season. You think back to the first half in the Big 12 title game against Oklahoma. You think about the game against Oklahoma State that they lost. It's when the offensive line is unable to protect Brock Purdy or create any sort of running lane for Brees Hall. That's when the team can really struggle because the offense doesn't have the dudes that you can just throw to in the flat and say, hey, go get us 10 yards. Um, they do have to rely on some scheme there. And I think that, you know, even though they do have a guy like Tariq Milton, that's like that, he's still, it's, it's just not the same. So I think you look at a recipe for Oregon to beat Iowa state. I think you're going to rely on Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, if he's able to really, you know, terrorize either Joey Ramos at right tackle, Sean Foster at left tackle, it could be a long day. Um, but now granted, I think you've got to say from an Iowa state perspective, what things will they do? you know, to try and limit that. I wrote about that earlier today, um, Thibodeau. And I, I think that he's similar to Joseph Osai from Texas, obviously not the same high end talent because, you know, Thibodeau could be the number one pick in the draft in, down the road. Um, but Iowa State used a lot of tight ends to chip. They had some help there with their tackles for Osai. Do they do something like that to try and help? Um, but then the issue is if you're taking, if you're slanting towards his side, you're leaving another four five-star guy, you know, that could be a one-on-one -on -one matchup. So I, I think it's going to be a lot about how Iowa state is able to schematically, you know, create advantages for themselves. But I think at the end of the day, it is really going to come down to can some of these guys win that one-on-one -on -one duel with the guy across from them. Um, and I guess that's the fun part about football is we really don't know who wins those duels right. until we kind of get to see the game. Um, but I do think Oregon does have the horses to, you know, really win the game and make Iowa State look bad. But I think that would – I think if you're maybe weighing the scenarios, I think, you know, a close game is the most likely. An Oregon blowout maybe is the next most likely. But this Iowa State team is just so hard to blow out because they control the ball, they play really good defense, and they don't make many mistakes. So, you know, I think just in general, it's going to take a really complete performance for Iowa State to win the game. But I think that saying Iowa State is favored, um, I haven't looked at the spread in the last couple of days, but um, I think Iowa State should be favored by a, a couple points. I look at Oregon and I, I realize we're probably not going to have a ton of Iowa State fans listening to this podcast, but like from a, a wild card perspective, guys that could tip the scale in favor of Oregon if they have big games and it's you know guys that are you – know, Game in, game out, you don't know what you're going to expect. Like I would say like a receiver like Devin Williams is kind of like a wild card factor for Oregon, 6'5", 200 pounds. Easily their, their biggest big play threat at receiver. Um, I, I, would, I would also say uh, like, like on defense, uh, a guy like Isaac Slade, Matu Atiyah, um, or an Austin Folio defensive end, two guys that are starters, have been you know multi-year starters, but don't have that big play – reputation and if they play up a level you know that makes their defense significantly better 
Um, and would I would then say, well, if those guys have big games, it's typically going to mean Oregon's going to probably have a really good game on that side of the ball. Um, who are those guys for Iowa State that like, hey, like when, when Iowa State loses, these guys typically don't have good days. And when they win, uh, these are typical guys that are the, the, big, the main difference in a win or a loss. Definitely. Um, on the offensive side of the ball, I really do think it all revolves around the offensive line. Something that the starting left tackle, Sean Foster, and even Brees Hall have said this year is the offense goes as far as the offensive line will take it. And you saw against Oklahoma, the offensive line wasn't able to take him very far because Brock Purdy was running for his life for all four quarters. Um, I think on offense, it starts with the offensive line because if they're able to protect and open holes in the running game, then the offense is able to do stuff. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, you know, they, obviously just doesn't necessarily have the dudes that you can just toss it to on the outside and say, go make a play. So I think a lot of it is going to revolve around how that offensive line plays. Now on the defensive side of the ball, um, I think Jay Hummel, is an important piece there. He's the will linebacker. He's someone that's very consistent in the way that he plays. But if he's someone that is having a really good game, then the defense tends to have a really good game, especially when it comes to stopping the run. Um, in terms of maybe the secondary, uh, I think that second corner that Iowa State has, it's either going to be a Daytron Young or a Tavon Kyle, number two and number 13. Um, those are guys that, you know, Iowa State has a lockdown corner in Anthony Johnson at one side, but that other corner spot, is where they've been beaten for some big plays. You know, Brendan Eagles went off, you know, the Texas wide receiver went off against Iowa State uh, against that second corner. And Iowa State started shadowing him with uh, Johnson as the game went on. But if Oregon's going to have a big day offensively, especially with Shook and the, and the wide receivers, I think they'll take advantage of that second corner because um, I think that consistency maybe hasn't been there all season. Uh, and I also think that Lawrence White at that kind of boundary safety spot is a really important piece too. He's someone that is really key in terms of, you know, fitting the run, but also in terms of being a back and coverage guy. Um, there have been times this season where he hasn't really played very well and the defense hasn't looked great as a result. There have also been times where he looks really good and the defense has looked really good too. Um, so I think those are probably the three positions that I would look for the most in terms of who's, you know, performing. And if those guys are playing well, then it really raises the ceiling of Iowa State. All right, Michael, prediction time. Um, mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if you're one of those guys who likes to attach your name and make and shoot your shot, make your calls. Um, have you had time? I know we're kind of midway through this week, and there's certainly time for your opinion maybe to change based on I don't know some information we learned at the last hour. What what which, what are you thinking here? Is this going to be an Iowa State win? Are they going to ride off into the sunset with a magical year, or are they going to come up short? I think so. I think after the Big Twelve title game um, and having that go sour and leaving there with a sour taste in your mouth, I think you'll see an inspired Iowa State team um, that's going to play really good football. Um, I obviously can't speak to Oregon and what this season's been like and what the vibe has been like, um, but it certainly seems like this team is very much determined to kind of finish this season on a high and, and really help those seniors go out um, go out on top. Uh, I think you'll probably see Iowa State, you know, I think this game could be a little bit similar to maybe Iowa State's game against Texas where it's, you know, both teams will have big plays, but I think in the end, it might turn into be a little bit of a rock fight. You know, just from my early reading on Mario Cristobal, it seems like he's someone that's embraces the ground and pound approach to some degree in terms of just being a physical football team. Um, and, and I think that this could be one of those games that might turn into a rock fight. Uh, but I do think Iowa State uh, will come out with the win. I, I think I said earlier, like a 31 to 28 type of game. Um, I think we'll be in for probably one of the best New Year's Six Bowls. Um, 
on set or, yeah on Saturday this week. But I'm really excited. It should be fun. But I do think Iowa State comes out on top. I I do think uh, this will be one of the better games uh, in the conference. I don't think it's going to be that high scoring though. I I I think. Um, looking at this game that this is going to be one where I think Oregon's game plan is going to be very similar to what they did against USC and that's ball control, suck the air out of the ball and, and really just kind of dominate the two lines of scrimmages and, and run the football and and make it a shorter game. And so I, I think possessions will be at a premium. Um, I don't know where Eric, where Eric lies. Um, I I'm on the opposite of you, Michael. I think Oregon wins this one, but it's going to be uh, a very, tightly contested game i think both teams will have the lead in the second half uh and i am with you though that this will will probably be one of the more competitive uh and entertaining games that we see uh in bowl season and among the new Year's six and even the playoff like i i, I look at i look at the playoffs and think not to go too tan on a tangent here but like i i think the semifinals will both be blowouts yeah. and like this kind of creates a situation where like these are going to be the games, the New Year's Six games, where a lot of the, the college football fans across the country will be tuning in to watch good games because I, I look at the playoffs and think the semis will be blowouts. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. I'm a part of me is I don't know, dreading is the right word, but I'm just like, why, why are why are we really wasting our time talking about this? Like, let's just Clemson, Alabama, go do your thing in the championship. But I do agree. I think this is going to be a great game. I think you're right too in terms of, you know, taking the air out of the ball. That's something we've seen from this Iowa State team at times this year has been a, let's, you know, walk up to the line of scrimmage with 10 seconds left on the clock, snap it with one, you know, let's lose every second. So I wouldn't be surprising at all if we saw a low scoring game. I think from my perspective, I look at how efficient Iowa State has been this season with limited possession games. Um, I think that they've been able to kind of punch the ball in and score when they have had possessions. Um, I obviously don't know a ton about the way that Oregon's been able to, you know, move the ball in terms of being efficient with their drives. But I, I think hot or cold, hot or cold. They're they're ah. they've been they've been good. They've been bad. Um, I I think you, you talked about good Brock Purdy, bad Brock Purdy. Uh, that that's very similar to Tyler Shuck. Um, the first three and a half games, he was a top fifteen quarterback in the country, um, QBR rating through the roof last two games he's not been even close to that he's not been very good uh to the point uh, where i don't know if it's ever gotten to this point for you uh fans uh for oregon have been clamoring for the backup to be put into the game all year but it's really intensified right eric the last two games or so well and and it's not like the coaching staff has not like obliged to a certain degree because we did see anthony brown the backup play probably 15 snaps last game you, did you see that, Michael? Yeah. Or, yeah. Are we going to see him on Saturday? I was going to ask you guys that. I think I, I would say I would say yeah. I think yeah. we're going to see a little Anthony Brown. I think it's going to be in 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 select packages in certain circumstances, like short yardage seems to be a place they liked him last game um, against USC. But I kind of anticipate like I don't think they're going to be a full on switch and it's going to be from Shuck to Brown entirely. But I could anticipate a scenario where if Shuck doesn't perform very well early that they see a switch um and the hard thing here michael is and our listeners have heard us have this conversation a lot but i'll fill you in is like brown is a grad grad transfer from boston college he yeah. doesn't really have much like future with the program tyler shuck is a redshirt sophomore he's kind of been billed for a couple of years as the heir apparent to justin herbert now it's his time 
and pulling the plug on him in a big game with the potential of 2021 being a season where he was supposed to be the starter as well, I think is a really tough balance for this coaching staff. Oh, that's fascinating. That's, that's kind of spicy, honestly. That's interesting. Yeah, I think maybe Iowa State, the equivalent would be maybe that second corner spot. There's some debate about whether Young or, or Tavon Kyle is better, but that's interesting. Uh, especially with, I, I saw that I think Oregon has a, some high-level backups or young guys in terms of quarterbacks too, right? Yeah, yeah they've, 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 go ahead, Matt. they've recruited pretty well at the position and it's uh, fair or not, fans are, are I, I, I think fans are being a little uh, overzealous with the play. Uh, you know, we've seen them comparing Shuck to what Herbert did and, you know, it, it's, you know, no one is saying, going into the year that Tyler Shuck was Justin Herbert, you know, uh, they're different quarterbacks, but nonetheless, it's been an interesting ride for 2020 in Eugene. Sounds like it's been uh, an interesting season to cover in Ames, Iowa, uh, getting ready for this Fiesta Bowl. Hopefully we get dealt a uh, very entertaining, very exciting football game on both sides. And thanks a ton for, for coming on the show. And we'll look forward to uh, catching up with you uh, either post game or sometime uh, shortly after you get your opinions of just how things played out. Awesome. Definitely. That sounds like a plan. Thank you guys so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.